Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are continuing our series through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, today one of my best friends and honestly like a guy who has blessed our church with his theological mind, uh, he's written so much of our content as a church and helps a, he's helped us kind of shape uh, how we explain our doctrine to people, uh, is Pastor Aaron Addison. So uh, would you stand for the reading of God's word before Aaron comes to preach? The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 17. The word of God speaks to us. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys can uh, grab a seat. Good morning. Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name is Aaron Addison. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline South. And uh, have you ever had uh, kind of that moment where you realized that you were just pronouncing a word wrong your entire life? 
Have you ever had that? So like, sometimes it makes sense, right? Like, I don't know why healthy food has to be really complicated to say. It's like already hard enough to eat, but then it's like, we're gonna make it impossible for you to know how to say this. Like quinoa, even though it's obviously quinoa, right? That's obviously how it's spelled, not quinoa. And I refuse to just pronounce acai berries, right? I know it's not pronounced that way. I don't care because that's the way that it's spelled, right? Uh, I've even probably, I think when I've ordered smoothies, not ordered that so I just don't have to be embarrassed by saying it wrongly, uh, right? I mean, it's just, it's just really hard. Sometimes it's not like it doesn't make sense. It's just a word you just didn't realize, right? So for me, one of those words was scarce, I know that seems weird, but scarce. I always said scarce for like the longest time. I, I have no idea why. Uh, it just made sense that way to me. And, uh, and had a moment where it was like someone said, hey, you know it's not said that way, right? And it, you mean this, right? And it's so embarrassing because you didn't even think like that you could have been saying something wrong, right? It's like it's, it didn't even cross your mind until someone points it out. Well, All that to say, in 1 Corinthians, we're about to have one of those moments. We're about to have a moment where Paul is going to kind of speak up and say something that they had no idea they were seeing wrong. So let me catch you up to speed a little bit. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and it is a hot mess. And at the moment, he's been spending chapter after chapter addressing the infighting going on in the church. So they're fighting over what leaders in the church are the godliest, the wisest, the most eloquent, the best leaders, right? That's what they're fighting about right now. Have you ever been a part of church drama like that, right? Yeah, a lot of you have. It it is a mess. It gets ugly real quick, right? Um, And Paul is caught in the crossfires of this kind of fighting and quarreling going on. So in the midst of all of that, he's getting dragged in the mud by everyone. So both sides are kind of looking at Paul and dragging him in the mud. And leaders had risen up in the church who were actually turning the church against Paul and in the message that he preached. And the problem with Paul was that he just wasn't that great of a preacher, (laughs) right? His messages were actually really super simplistic. They weren't very eloquent, He kept on saying things that contradicted some of the other leaders in the church, which they, of course, didn't like. And on top of this, the Corinthians had just as a whole thought they had kind of surpassed Paul and unlocked this super spiritual enlightened state. In essence, they kind of looked at Paul and were like, Paul, you basic, right? That's kind of the way that they thought about Paul. Like they were ready to move on. And what they don't realize is, their world is about to get flipped just upside down. They've not only been pronouncing a word wrong their entire life, they're writing a dissertation on how to pronounce that word. And Paul's gonna come along and be like, you know no one says it like that, right? Like that's what Paul is about to do. And he wants to show them and he wants to show us something that our fighting, our frustration, our dysfunction as a church often stems from profound misunderstandings about life, about things that we never even doubted. The way that we see ourselves, the way that we see leaders in the church, the way that we see the church itself often erodes into conflict that if left unchecked can destroy a church. 
So Paul is wanting to show us a few things, and there's three things in particular that he wants us to see rightly. So the first thing, we need to see ourselves rightly. We need to see ourselves rightly. Interestingly, the problems we have with others often say more about ourselves than anyone else. And it's amazing how, and if you've been in church for a while, you've seen this, how some people can spew some of the most vicious hate and yet convince themselves they're being spiritual. And that's exactly what's going on with the Corinthians. So the Corinthians, they prided themselves on being spiritual and mature, on having everything together. They were ready for the meat of Christianity. Part of their dislike for Paul kind of stemmed from his simplicity and the fact that he always just focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And they got that already. They already got that. They were ready for Christianity 2.0, right? Let's keep going with this thing. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. Let's talk about the freedom from our body. Let's talk about deep theological truths. But here's the thing. Everything that they thought pointed to their superiority actually pointed to their immaturity. So 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 1, Paul addresses them and he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. So Paul looks at them and he says, hey, you think you're spiritual? Well, you're not. You're actually acting like people of the flesh. Now, what does that mean of the flesh? Well, by flesh, think of a body without any life in it, right? A hunk of meat, just some muscle in a body. No spirit, no life, just flesh, right? That's kind of the image, the picture, the analogy that Paul's bringing to mind. It's like you're claiming to be spiritual and full of life, and actually you're living like you don't have any life in you at all. You're living like you have no spirit, just like a dead body, just like a piece of flesh. And Paul here is actually being sarcastic, right? Which is kind of interesting to read our Bibles and see him being sarcastic. And you can miss it sometimes, but the Corinthians, they prided themselves on being spiritual and mature and ready for meat. And Paul kind of says, hey, instead of spiritual, you're actually fleshly, right? You're actually the opposite of that. Instead of mature, Paul calls them infants or more literally babies. You guys are babies. Instead of ready for meat, he says, you guys can't even stomach it. What I'm feeding you, you're not ready for it. In other words, the way that they thought about themselves was completely upside down. They're the toddler dressing up as an adult, but they actually believe they're an adult. And that's what's going on. So this kind of talk, I think, poses a question for us that's important to ask. So is Paul saying that these people are not Christians? Is Paul saying the Corinthians aren't actually Christians at all? We know from last week, Pastor Andrew did a great job of talking about to be without the Spirit is to not be a Christian. Like when we actually come to faith, the Spirit is the one who opens our eyes and he fills us. So is Paul saying these people are not Christians? It's not what he's saying. 
Notice two important things here. First, he calls them brothers and sisters, which is always a way of referring to followers of Jesus in the Bible. And the second thing he does is, though he calls them babies, he says that they're babies, infants, in Christ. That they're actually in Jesus still. So what's going on here? Well, Paul is trying to drive home a point. They're living in a way that's contrary to who they really are in Jesus. So he's saying, here's who you really are. You really are spiritual. Like, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling with you, but you're living in a way that's opposite of that. And we've already seen in this letter, it's like they are marked out. Paul starts this letter, right, by saying, hey, you are the church, the called saints, but he's also pointing to the fact you're trying to live in the way of Corinth instead of the way of Jesus. And that doesn't make any sense. They're living in a way that's inconsistent with being a follower of Jesus. In particular, Paul points out their divisions and their fighting as one of the reasons that show that. They're behaving as someone who doesn't have the Spirit. So he goes on in verse 3. He says, For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh in behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So he's saying their jealousy and their strife, these things are showing that they're thinking in just a human way and not in the way of the Spirit. They're not allowing their minds to be transformed by the Spirit. And if they want to be really spiritual, they should put away their fighting and treat one another with love. Paul's calling them, in essence, to live into who they actually are, people of the Spirit. Now, this is important because the, this letter is going to go on and say this over and over and over again. Paul is going to continually remind them, here's the reality of who you are. Now live into that. So here's the truth. Here's what God says about you. But you're not living that way. Live into that. And that's kind of what he's doing here. Now, can we just pause and recognize something? To be a follower of Jesus, to be people of the Spirit, like we uh, read about last week, we have to actually live a certain way of life. We have to recognize this tension between who we are and how we are living. And remember who we are in the gospel and remembering that in Christ, we have to strive to live into who we are. And one of the problems that we're going to see with the Corinthian church over and over again is they were masters of separating their spirituality from their behavior. And I dare say that we rival them in that. We have a way of convincing ourselves that we can be really spiritual and that is completely disconnected from how we live, from how we think, from what we do in our everyday lives. But Paul here is agreeing with Jesus and the rest of the Bible that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have to actually follow Jesus. There's a certain way of life that followers of Jesus must embrace and live out. And it's for that reason that Paul is calling them out. He's not just saying, well, you guys are just really fleshly and carnal. No big deal. That's cool. It's fine. It's, I mean, you're going to lose out on some stuff, but 
That's not what Paul's saying. He's actually pointing out, hey, you are living inconsistent. You are not living the way of Jesus. And he's warning them. He's warning them that they're straying from that path. And throughout this letter, Paul's going to warn them that if they continue down that, the only thing they can expect is just judgment. So Paul here is lovingly, sarcastically trying to shock them awake of like, guys, you're living in a way that's not spiritual, but you're walking around calling yourself spiritual. You're living in a way that goes against everything Jesus stood for. So we need to see ourselves rightly as people of the Spirit called to live into who we really are. Now, the second thing we need to see is we need to see our leaders rightly. So in our culture, it can be really hard to know what to think of church leadership, right? How do we think of pastors or people in ministry? We're flooded with stories of abusive leadership and moral failures, and many of us have even experienced that in our own lives. And this has led to just a general skepticism towards authority and leadership, but also at the same time, I don't know if you feel this, but a lot of us tend to also ache for spiritual fathers and mothers. We just have this tension inside of us of like, we, we kind of want to, in one, uh, one respect, we kind of want to villainize leaders in the church. And in another respect, we kind of want to idolize leaders in the church. And we kind of can feel those tension and oscillate between them. And the Corinthians had a similar problem. They bounced from leader to leader, and now they're fighting to gain influence. And part of the problem flowed from just even their understanding of the nature of leadership in the church. And once again, Paul's going to kind of flip some things on their heads. And there's two things that I think he points out here that's important for us to see. The first thing on this is church leaders are stewards of God. Church leaders are stewards of God. So uh, chapter three, starting in verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Here's our deal is we can put too much stock in leadership, charisma, and skills, in particular in the church. We can see different great leaders and great pastors in the church, and we can begin to tie our own spiritual growth and our spiritual life to their leadership. Right? That's what a lot of the Corinthians were doing. They were tying their own walk with Jesus to particular leaders and how they led and how they preached and what they emphasized. And Paul is going to remind us that God is the one who does the work. God is the one who does it. The church actually doesn't belong to leaders. It's not sustained by leaders it doesn't even necessarily grow because of leaders. It grows and is sustained and is founded on Jesus. He is the one who is building his church. And like Paul talked about last week, the Spirit is the one who opens our eyes. 
He's the one who brings us to faith. And without that, words will always just fall short. And Paul uses this analogy. He compares the church to a field or a garden. So imagine a farmer goes out and he plants his seed. He waters it, but he can't make it grow. And there's all kinds of factors, right? I mean, the soil, the weather, the wildlife, the insects, everything else affects the viability of whatever he's planting. And there's the reality that the farmer can only do so much. He could do everything right and still lose his crops. That's just possible. He can't make it grow. And ministry is the same way. Leaders can teach you, they can labor, they can care for you, Leaders hopefully are pointing you towards Jesus, meeting needs, doing all manner of things. Only God can grow. He is the one who can change a heart. He is the one who can actually produce fruitfulness. And and here's the point Paul gets to. Our allegiance doesn't belong to leaders, but to God alone. And this is really important because leaders in the church, and I say this as a leader in the church, leaders in the church are going to let you down. But our allegiance is not to them. When our leaders fail, faithfulness doesn't look like defending them at all costs. Like our allegiance is to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Now at the same time, Leaders are given real authority in the church to serve at the pleasure of another. He's a fool of a farmer who thinks that because God gives growth, he doesn't need to plant seeds or water them, right? It's through leaders like Apollos and Paul that the Corinthians believed. That's what he says in verse five, right? It's through Apollos and Paul that you believed, God has assigned certain gifts and roles to leaders as stewards. So here's how he puts it in verse nine. Paul says, for we, talking about him and Apollos, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So leaders in the church have been invited by God to partner with him in seeing his kingdom come to see people changed by the power of the gospel. And leaders have been given this sacred responsibility this stewardship, and as a stewardship, they don't possess anything. They don't own anything to just do as they please. They are not the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. They don't labor to build their own kingdoms or to promote their own image. They are to serve at the pleasure of another, just like a steward. Their job is to do the will of the king. So church leaders are just stewards, They're given gifts, yes, but they are not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. But there's another thing about leaders that I think the Corinthians misunderstood, and that's this. Church leaders will be judged by how they build. Church leaders will be judged by how they built. So starting in verse 12, 
And again, this is talking about leaders in the church. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So continuing with this building analogy, Paul compares ministry to building the church with different materials. So some church leaders are building with gold and silver and precious stones, and others are building with wood, hay, and straw. And this represents the quality of their work. Now, there's a couple things to say about these verses before we moved on. So the first thing is, contrary to a lot of ways that this passage has been taught, this is not referring to individual Christians building their lives. So this whole flow, Paul is talking about leaders in the church, about Paul and Apollos, and how the Corinthians should be thinking about the leaders. And he's using this analogy of building in the church to describe leadership. Second thing that's important is, both kinds of leaders in this analogy are building on the foundation of Jesus. Now this is important because later on, Paul's going to speak a little differently about those who seek to destroy the church. But here, the issue isn't what foundation they've built on. The issue is the material that they've used to build. Okay? The third thing that's really important is, how many of you live in a house that's made of gold, silver, or jewels? Anyone? No one. Okay, none of us. If you did, I was going to try to invite myself over for lunch. Uh, but every material that's listed here actually can be used to build a structure. In fact, apparently, straw bale houses are all the rage in France and are growing in popularity in the U.S. Like, so all of these things actually can work. The issue is not whether these materials can be used for shelter. The issue is what? Combustion. Whether the material can withstand a fire. In other words, our leaders building... Are these church leaders building with temporary, fleeting things that can burn up real easy? Or are they building with lasting, eternal things? And here's, here's the problem. I think here's the point Paul's trying to get at. The Corinthians were judging leaders not on their faithfulness to Jesus, not on the eternal quality of their work, but on fleeting things. They were evaluating them, judging them, comparing them, not as people of the spirit, but as people of the flesh. And this is not just a Corinthian problem. The church in every culture and age is tempted to build with the wisdom of our age that's passing away. So we could build the church with consumerism, thinking the church is just a business, that the members are the customers, and the customers are always right, that felt needs must be obeyed. Jesus is this product that exists to get you what you need to be happy. Sometimes church leaders build with nationalism, thinking our country or politics or policies can be the kingdom of God, that a party or an official can be a Messiah. And the list can go on and on and on. The church can be built up with self-promotion, 
with feel-good pop psychology, with moralism, with false identities, with all number of things. Or the church can be built up with good materials, with lasting materials, with the wisdom of God. And the reality is that every church probably has a mixture of those, right? There's some good and bad. And God's invitation to us is to look back to the foundation of Jesus that was laid, to look ahead to the day of Jesus that's coming, and to evaluate our work in between. And together, we're to seek kind of to be less of a mixture of the two and more faithful to Jesus. And the way that we look at our leaders, the way that we evaluate our leaders, should be based on that and not on fleeting things. It shouldn't be on how eloquent they speak, <laughs> right? How great a message was, how their personalities are, the really engaging. Now, it doesn't mean none of those things matter, but what ultimately matters is faithfulness to Jesus. I would rather be at a church that has some pretty bad worship and pretty awful preaching in some degrees of people who don't have all the skills to make everything flow smoothly, yet those leaders be faithful to point me to Jesus. I'd rather be at that place than the place where everything is going great, everything is a show, everything goes perfectly, but really it's just fleeting things being built up. And here's the deal. Ultimately, the fire will reveal the quality of the work in our church and in every church. And sometimes we pass through the fire in the here and now. We've seen tons of stories of churches that pass through the fire and the quality of their work is gonna be shown. Leaders are gonna be shown for what they're building. Other times we're not gonna fully know until that day, the final day. But here's what we do know. Leaders in the church won't be judged based on how big their church is, on how many people attended, or even on how many people came to faith. They're not gonna be judged on the number of programs, dollars that they raised, the number of prayers that they prayed. They're gonna be judged on their faithfulness to Jesus. And they're gonna be rewarded accordingly. So the Corinthians were fighting holding up one leader over another, other, doing all of these things. And Paul's saying, guys, you're not seeing it rightly. <laughs> you're not seeing your leaders rightly as stewards of God who are gonna be held accountable. And the last thing, and we'll end with this, is that we are called to see the church rightly. We're called to see the church rightly. As this passage kind of goes on, we see one more thing that the Corinthians had misunderstood, and that's the very nature of the church. This is kind of sprinkled all throughout, but if you will, go with me to, uh, to verse 16, chapter three. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Now, let me just pause here for a second. This you here is not you as an individual, though he will get to that later. He is speaking to the church. He's speaking to the people of God. And he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. 
For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So why is Paul spending so much time talking about divisions and fighting in the church? I mean, to be honest, there are more pressing issues that Paul could have talked about. But Paul camps out here for a few chapters. This issue matters because the church matters to God. The church is not just some building. It's not just some club. It's the temple of God. Now, the word here for temple in the Greek is naos, which is an interesting word. It's not just the temple complex, but it's actually more pointed towards the place in the temple where God's presence dwelt, right? This is like the holy place or the holy of holies. The church is the place where God's spirit dwells, the place where you can find God's presence on earth. And Paul looks at the Corinthian church and he looks at every church But just think about this. He looks at this church that's so messed up and he says, you are holy. You are the place where God's spirit dwells in the church. The Corinthians, they were playing fast and loose with sacred things. They were treating the church as if it was some sort of game or social club or way to promote themselves. And this final misunderstanding serves as a warning to those who would try to lead the church astray. It's interesting, Paul almost expands a little bit. So he talks about leaders in the church and builders in the church. And then he gets here and he says, if anyone would destroy the church, if anyone would destroy you, God will destroy him. The harshest judgment in the whole New Testament is reserved for false teachers, for those inside the church who are seeking to destroy Because the church is God's temple. It's a place where God's spirit dwells. But the temple is only a temple if it actually is built up and stands together. It can't serve as a temple if it's a pile of rubble. Right? It has to be together. And here's the deal. God is jealous for his people. Do you hear that in these verses? God is jealous for his people. If anyone would destroy them, he will destroy that person. He is so jealous for them. So where do we go from here? Just a couple really quick things. The first thing, let's strive to be people of the spirit who actually build up the church in love instead of tearing it down in our conflict, in our infighting, in our divisions. Let's try to be people shaped by the Spirit. The second thing, let's recognize God's grace. One of the most striking things about this passage, there's a lot of heavy things in it, but one of the most striking things is the amount of just gifts (laughs) that are pointed out. I mean, you just think about this. He's given us his Spirit. He's called us holy. God has planted us. He's watered us. He's growing us. He's invited us to labor with him and partner with him as stewards. God is overflowing with mercy even when we fail and go astray. 
And that's for the Corinthians as well as some of their leaders. God is overflowing with mercy. God calls us his field, his building, his temple. God is so jealous for us that he will protect us at any cost. If we truly grasped these realities, these gifts, we would become transformed people. If we actually received those as gifts and saw these things rightly, our divisions, our selfish ambition, our fighting, our jealousy, our strife would cease. And Jesus would be lifted high.